Hey guys, welcome to Begging Broadcast, episode number 470. I am Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. And we're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being the Week in Geek, bringing you all the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list, the comic books that we're looking forward to coming out February 9th, 2022. We follow that up with our weekly rotating main topic, and this week we're bringing you the 21st part of our great Marvel movie retrospective, where we go back and look at the Marvel Universe through today's lens with everything that we now know. And we're going to be talking about 2019's Captain Marvel. The best Dragon Ball Z movie that I've seen. Mm. I mean, I guess this would be the only Dragon Ball Z movie I've seen because I skipped them because it looked bad. Yeah. Yes. But you know what doesn't look bad? A, A beer. beer in your hand. Oh. So, uh... And Chris, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm actually going to be drinking beers from a new Orlando brewery. Uh, it literally just opened this past weekend. And this is Dead Words Brewing out of Orlando, Florida here. Um, this was actually brought to my attention by my girlfriend, Yanni. She found it when we were actually researching something to do on Sunday night. Um, just like, we want something quick and easy just to get after she got out of work. And she found this place, and uh, I I have nothing but good things to say. A little bit of, I guess like a biography of it. Um, again, it's called Dead Words Brewing. Um, all the beers that they brew belong to like one of four families. Uh, they're resurrection beers, which are ancient recipes that they take and make like a modern updated uh, version of it. So think the dogfish head ancient ales line. Mm. Um, next up is tradition, which is just kind of like classic beer styles that you know and love because it's just the stuff that's omnipresent. Uh, evolution. Beer, beer, beer that tastes like beer. Beer that tastes like beer. Uh, next is evolution, which is kind of takes on newer styles of beer where they can be a little bit more uh, experimental and, you know, trendy. And then finally is Abomination, which mm-hmm. is just like their line of like, we're just going to do something that's really weird and see what works and what doesn't. It's like their small batch series. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously I had to try something from each one of those families while I was there. And I have to say, everything that I got, I really enjoyed. Uh, we also got food. So we got a, a pretzel with their like house-made beer cheese and mustard. Um, they also do like small personal pizzas. I got the Abomination pizza because it was like a Cuban sandwich-inspired pizza. Ooh. It was amazing. I loved it. Um, nothing but good things to say. And I'm going to continue on that streak with my first beer from them. And this is part of their tradition line. Uh, and this is Timberline, a Pacific Northwest IPA. And I'm not big on that West Coast style of IPAs, but I figured I would have to try this one just because I enjoyed everything else and I felt like I owed it to them as a brewery. Uh, 7.5% ABV, 70 IBUs, Paul, in case you were curious. <laughs> um, but this is straight up a Pacific Northwest style and their head brewer actually is from the Northwest. So this is kind of like his home style and I think it shows through here. Um, my biggest concern anytime I have a West Coast IPA is just going to be that overwhelming hop bitterness. But this is the perfect balance of that nice pininess with a nice, like, toasty malt. Hmm. It's a drinkable West Coast IPA. It's got, like, the right amount of, like, 
pine coney on that middle of the tongue. Not so much that you like regret drinking it, but it makes you want to go back for another sip. Um, good on them. I don't know if I would continue to buy this one, but you know, for something to have from them, uh, a great showing and a great way to start off the podcast. Mm-hmm. John, you were talking about a beer that tastes like beer, right? Yeah, I'm having another uh, beer that tastes like beer from Big Ditch Brewing. Last episode, Paul and I both had their Scotch Ale, uh, and this is their Dark English Mild. Um, so this is just a really nice biscuity, toasty, roasty, toffee, coffee um, beer. 3.8%, which is kind of really wow. nice. Um, and it drinks just, it's got a lot of a lot of flavor for a under 4% beer. So um, what's this one called again? Sorry. It's <laughs> this is, no, because this is a dark English mild. Dark. So it's not really a like an ESB then. It's not an ESB. Okay. It's a lot more in line with a uh, brown ale. Okay. So you get that roasty toffiness. It's Kind of like if you mixed a, a brown with maybe like a lager. Okay. It's kind of in there. Um, but again, it's not a, It's not going to be a lager. It's a, a, a mild, which is going to be an ale. So it's a, a basically a brown ale. Um, but it's, it's really nice. It's got a lot of that roasty coffee-ness to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a nice, like you could... At three point eight percent, you could drink you could drink a lot of these, and it's twelve ninety nine for the four pack. Knowing that ABV is a little bit lower, it's a little bit tougher of a buy. But that is the going price for all of their beer that tastes mm. like beer, which isn't bad. And I think this beer holds up. I actually didn't realize it was three point eight percent till I just said it to you guys on the pod. Like, it doesn't taste like it's. It's that low of an AB, ABV. No, and nothing wrong with that, Paul, as uh, someone who drinks a lot of like NA beers because you'll be on call for work while we're recording. Uh, what's your kind of like cutoff? Like, what's like the lowest ABV you would have and still be like, oh, I can I can go to work if they call me in? Is it no oh. AB, ABV? Like, or would like no. a three point eight beer that At tastes 3. like three point eight? Anything under four or below four point two? and below if I'm just having one like during that night like if I you know if I come home from work and have a 4.2 with dinner like I'm going to be that worried about it but on the podcast we don't have just one during dinner (laughs) we have three to four in a two hour period sometimes there'll be like imperial sours and IPAs (laughs) exactly Uh, so you know I, I have to plan out those weeks and like next week will be one of those weeks. Um, well, Paul, I would say grab um, yeah, grab this because I, I price point in the beer itself I think are are worth it, and the fact that it's something that you could have an actual beer with your NAs for the pod, mm-hmm. I think you I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, it, it sounds really good. Um, another beer that you know skirts the line because it's a lower ABV, but not quite four point two. This is four point five percent. And this is from Industrial Arts Brewing Company, and this is their Pocket Wrench, which is their their uh, 
their kids little kid brother to uh their regular wrench this is the lower abv version of it and this is uh yeah just a hazy pale ale instead of a hazy ipa um it's good it's easy drinking uh i did drink it as we were kind of waiting to get the show going it does have a nice rich mouthfeel still you know it has that resiny kind of taste to it uh and mouthfeel throughout it's enjoyable. It's good. I, I thought I didn't like the pocket wrench at all, but that's probably because I picked up pocket wrench with back when I wasn't sure which one I liked from them. <laughs> so I so I was like, isn't this what I liked? And it wasn't that juicy, big flavored wrench. Uh, this is you know more resiny, more piney, and a little bit lighter, but still for four point five percent, it's a really good beer. Is it? Going to knock out a little haze or all day haze? No, because that price point is ridiculous with all day haze. Yeah, and also it it scratches that same itch. So I do have to say, and it is pricier, but twenty six ninety nine for the industrial arts variety pack that you're drinking that beer from what? is a pretty good <laughs> is a pretty good price. Uh, yeah, maybe I will, I'll have more industrial arts later on in the show. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil it. I didn't know it was a secret. I didn't know it was a secret either. But Paul, you know, he flies by the seat of his pants sometimes. See, the uh, next beer is always going to be a mystery. Just mm-hmm. like, uh, who knows what gigantic entertainment company is going to be buying some game studio. You never, you're never gonna you never know. know. I, I didn't expect uh, Microsoft to pony up almost seventy billion dollars for Activision Blizzard. Like that was bonkers. Like sixty-eight point something. Yeah, sixty-eight point nine. And people are saying now that yeah, because the lawyers got together and said, hey, with all the talk about the sexual misconduct over at Activision Blizzard, you cannot buy them for a sixty-nine million or sixty-nine billion. <laughs> you just can't. Don't do it. It ain't right. You know, the articles will be like, nice. I was going to say, as soon as the story broke, everyone was like, nice. (laughs) Wait, is it nice? No. 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 Not nice. So that's like the gold standard now, though. That's like, if you're going to buy a game developer, you pay $70 billion for it, right? Uh, uh, Unless. Anything else like that would just be ludicrous. I mean, especially if it's like a marquee publisher. Who makes like some of the biggest games in the world? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but do you, but does you Bungie never want to pay like three point eight billion? That's just. But does Bungie? Okay, and Chris, you're you're, you're hammering all the way around it. Yeah, Sony bought Bungie for three point six billion dollars. Uh, Bungie is its own loan studio, though, versus the Activision Blizzard, which is Activision. Blizzard and also King. Which, this is surprising because Bungie, I mean, again, most well-known for making Halo, had an exclusive deal with Microsoft for the longest time until they Mm -hmm. kind of splintered off and then Microsoft got, like, their offshoot studio 343. Yep. And then Bungie just kind of went on to do its own thing. What has Bungie been doing since then? Because I, I love... Is it Destiny? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't Destiny. know if there was anything else because I played Destiny 2 for a while because, again, this was 
it was available on the Activision Blizzard launcher, so they had like a free week where you could download it and like have full access to it. And I enjoyed it enough that I was like, yeah, you know what? I'll don't download this. And I think I got like the base game and the Risen King expansion for like sixty dollars. I'm like, oh, hey, cool. Uh, and I enjoyed my time with it, but I just never got back into it. And then when they were actually moving it off of the Blizzard launcher to just I don't I don't know what Bungie was using for it. They had like a limited window where you could like sign up and say like, "Hey, migrate my account over." And I was like, "Nah, I'm I'm okay. I got my sixty bucks out of it. Like that's that's mm-hmm. fine." But it's only been Destiny and the subsequent expansions. Yeah, that's packs? that's oh. all that's been released from them recently. Um, there might be other stuff that I'm just not aware of because I'm not big into first-person shooters or those kind of um, sh- shooting action games. Even because Bungie's what third-person, right? Over the- yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, Halo's first-person, but Destiny's like third-person. Yeah. Right? But you know, Bungie doesn't own Halo. It's uh, three three four three studios owns Halo. So. And I went back to look at the Microsoft deal when they bought out Bethesda. Microsoft bought this Bethesda for five point or seven point five billion, but that also included uh, id Software and Arcane in the back catalog from those as well, because it was Zenimax uh, Media that owned those uh, those other companies. So I. I, I I, mean, I know seventy it's, billion dollars around because I mean that's still a crazy amount of money. Yeah, um, three point five billion for one studio. That's their legacy title, which was Halo, isn't part of them anymore. Yeah, and so but I mean, well, Destiny's like a marquee franchise on its own now. Mm-hmm. Like that's and a so, big enough property that they probably were able to justify that. Yeah, Destiny to uh, two thousand seventeen was the last game they released um so just to put this into perspective because i couldn't remember the dollar amount disney bought lucasfilm for 4.05 billion in cash Mm -hmm. and stock and this was back in 2012 so do you i think if i had four billion dollars laying around i would rather buy lucasfilm than bungie though like one of those i think is going to be a hell of a lot more lucrative just with Licensing well, and like what else you can do. Disney's made all their money back with yeah everything they've done with Disney or everything they've done with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, it's crazy amounts of money, no matter what. But and it was four billion dollars to buy Marvel because I'm looking that up from Disney back in 2009. But that's 2009 dollars. So you for know. I mean, so <laughs> true. I mean. It's, it's, and they've more than made that. It's been a decade. I mean, every year they make that just with, like, box office. But if you're just looking at, like, how much they paid, would you rather buy two Bungies or a Marvel and a Lucasfilm? Well, back in 2009, like, what was Marvel really worth? Like... Yeah, not much. What was their... They... They did come release, you know, Iron Man. Iron Man was already out uh, at that point, right? Because the first few... The first couple movies, yeah. Um, yeah, because that's when they had to deal with Universal Par- Silver Distribution. Paramount. Yeah, Paramount. Paramount, sorry. 
um, for distribution stuff. So yeah, they had started to they started to turn it around. But, but man, the stock I remember because I was well, not in two thousand nine, but back in two thousand four, two thousand three. Uh, you know, I was an economics major, and one of our projects, of course, is always to you know track uh, stock, and I was tracking Marvel the Marvel stock. Bro, you should have tracked GameStop, man. AMC yeah. all the way to the moon. To the moon. I should have. Uh, but yeah, and the Marvel stock was just always low. It was an, it was never trading. I don't think above twenty bucks. So it was like, but it always seemed like that would be something if somebody wanted to buy it for the intellectual property, and that's all they're buying for Lucasfilm and that. But with the game studios, you're banking on that those studios are going to produce. Triple A titles that are going to be hits and they're going to make you money, right? But then again, six point eight billion. How much is that is for King, who's never going to make a Triple A title game, who's just going to make Farmville or King uh, Candy Crush, Candy Crush Saga, and just make millions upon millions of recurring revenue every month just on people clicking and matching three. Yeah. Uh, I, no, it's I, I don't know valuations anymore. I feel this is probably smart for Sony. I mean, I think at this point they're going to be having uh, Bungie work on something else, or maybe Bungie already has something in like mm-hmm. development or in the hopper that we don't know about. That like Sony's in, like no, like we need that. That's going to be the next destiny. You know, like that's going to be our bread and butter. Um, time will tell. Yeah, uh, much like time will tell on. Related story, uh, we got the trailer for the Halo show, and this is going to be on Amazon, is it? Uh, Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, okay. Um, the Mountain of Entertainment, Chris. <laughs> uh, That's the tagline. It's uh, a Mountain of Entertainment. Uh, I have never been a huge Halo fan. My only dalliance with the title was years ago when I still worked at PacSun, and for those of you that aren't in the circle of friends... I worked at Pac Sun uh, at our local mall from 2001 to 2006. So within that five-year period, uh, a bunch of us would get together at someone's house and have basically like Halo LAN parties uh, because he had multiple Xboxes and multiple TVs in his basement. So we would just like all hang out, get pizza, and just play like split screen. And it was a lot of fun, but it was never enough to make me be like, man, I'm a... I'm a Halo head now, whatever they call themselves. I don't, mm. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but I, I respect it. People Spartans? Are huge because that's... Would you call yourself a Spartan? A, a Spartan, right? Because they're they're the... That's what a Master Chief is, right? He's a Spartan. Uh, he's, he's a Spartan, yeah. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't matter. Um, so my knowledge of this franchise has always just kind of been on the periphery. Even as I worked at GameStop, um, he would be a super friend of the show. Uh, one of the other managers I worked with, Ben, was a huge Halo head Spartan, whatever we're calling him. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, he's a super friend of the show because he was on one of our episodes and he brought us Mead, uh, the episode oh. he was on, uh, from, oh, they're out of Syracuse. All their stuff's medieval. Medieval, medieval times? I don't want to say no. that. It's probably not it. Uh, okay. Uh, 
John John had to step away yeah. for a moment. That's why I'm like trying to fill time. Uh, anyways, I'll look it up. We we've been to the brewery on one of our trips. Um, he was huge into Halo. Like that was his brother. Middle Ages. Middle Ages. That was it. Thank you. Thank you for Google Foo. Uh, that was his bread and butter franchise. Like lived and died Halo. Uh, so Halo show is probably going to be right up his alley. For me, I haven't watched this trailer. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I've seen from it is because it was in a pop-up ad when I was trying to look up something else online. So it was playing in the bottom corner without any audio. And I was like, oh, that doesn't look like the Cortana I know. X and close it out. (laughs) Paul, did you watch this trailer? Do you have more information than I do? I caught a very small bit of this trailer because it was on during a sporting event. That I was watching, so I was watching a sporting event, and boom, this uh, an ad for the new Halo or the Halo, not new. Well, I don't know. Whatever this Halo show is, this has been years and years and years, right? Well, there was a Netflix Halo show, right? Uh, ODST, I think you it think? A, it was the cartoon. Yeah, it was stuff, a cartoon. Right? ODST. It might have been based off of ODST, but that was like an offshoot game. Yeah. Using like the same engine that they had had orbital drop where, shock troopers. I think that's where three four three studios kind of came in because they were like the stewards of the Halo brand while Bungie was like working on the next like marquee title. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but yeah, I, I don't have any interest in it. And as soon as I heard that I would have to climb the mountain of entertainment of Paramount Plus in order to watch it, I was even less interested in it. Even though. To, to climb the mountain, it's only $4.99 a month, but you still have to watch ads. Or you can get it for a year for forty nine ninety nine, and save some money that way. Oh, I was going to say, do you still have to watch ads? Oh, you still have to watch ads. Or yeah, you can get the premium, formerly commercial-free, uh, but it's commercial-free, for nine ninety nine a month. Or $99.99 a year. I'm, look, I'm just watching. But that does not... Oh, it does include your local CBS station, guys. So that's pretty cool. Mm. So that was our new (laughs) weekly segment where Paul uh, looks over pricing for a streaming platform. Uh, But basically, Paul, what I'm getting is like Paramount doesn't have anything that I'm interested in. I've heard good things about Picard. Yeah, Picard, uh, Lower Decks. I'm not a big enough Star Trek fan that I need to watch Picard or Discovery or the other. First season was good. The cartoon. Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Um, I've heard they're all great, but again, I'm not a big enough Star Trek fan that I need to consume that content. I signed up for Paramount Plus for the free week in order to watch a football game. Did football you game. still have to watch ads during the free week? Yes. Mm, yes. Should have gone for that nine ninety nine premium. And then I canceled it, and then they're like, hey, we'll give you a full month for free. And I'm like, well, the bills are still playing, so I'm going to... Uh, not can- I, I will cancel it, but w- I will enjoy this free, free couple extra weeks. And then as soon as like they sent me an email saying, "Hey, you want to renew? It's coming up." And I'm like, "No, I'm going to let it cancel because football was over at that point for me." So it was over. So cancel. Get rid of it. cancel. I'm not, not going to say pay. say no. I'm not going to pay four ninety nine dollars, four dollars and ninety nine cents on on a full month of, of, of a streaming service when I can go out and buy a comic book for the same price. <laughs> a single comic book. And what comic book would that be, Paul? 
Is it going to have the cover on the cover? Is Strong Guy on? Oh, it? Strong Guy is definitely on the cover. Yeah. Oh, he, is this the variant cover for John's book? No, <laughs> but you know who else is on the cover? We got Sunspot. We got uh, Marrow. We got Banshee. We got Boom Boom. We got Forge. Forge so here. Basically, what you're saying is no one's favorite X Men team. What sounds sounds like a lot of crappy people. <laughs> I like Banshee. Forge. Forge is great. Banshee is great. Boom Boom's great. And Strong Guy is is Boom Boom's great? Isn't she? I mean, Boom Boom's great, <laughs> but the character Boom Boom, no. Oh, okay. Now I know Paul's just making stuff up. What book is this again, Paul? This is Secret X-Men, number one. Uh I am nervous about this. I'm picking it up because it's Why strong. Paul's got all of your favorite X-Men in it, like <laughs> Boom Boom. But unfortunately they're gonna have to mess around with a uh, Shirar Empire. And you know me, I never like it when the X-Men go out into space with the Shirar Empire. I think that's better left up to some other weird heroes, like the Guardians of the Galaxy or something. Like, why why X-Men up there? Why, X- why X-Men in space? X-Men don't why need to X- be in space. Why X-Men up there? So, my, the only thing I have ever liked about the Shi'ar was in the 90s cartoon. Mm-hmm. And then in the original X-Men game on Sega Genesis. Like, yeah. In the actual comic books, as soon as I see the Shi'ar pop up, I'm like, no. Like, yeah, yeah the only reason you liked them in the Genesis video game is so you can beat them up, so you didn't need to deal with them anymore. Yeah, that Deathbird fight was hard, though. <laughs> yeah. I will agree to that. Yeah. It was hard. It was, that's a great game, though. Like, I, If I could play that right now, I totally would. I don't know if it's available on anything, but... Something yeah, it's available on the Sega Genesis down in my basement, and then I have it. <laughs> you can just play it there. Uh, but who's doing this book, Paul? Is there at least something to get excited about? Uh, Timmy, Timmy, uh, Timmy Howard is uh, the writer, and the artist is uh, Francisco Mo- Mobiali. Mobiali? So, so maybe? I don't know. I think Kimi Howard wrote yeah some Catwoman stuff and some other stuff. I don't know. I don't know what she really wrote. Excalibur. <laughs> so that wasn't yeah. great. I, I don't know. I'm I'm not going to defend that book anymore. I've done it enough. Go listen <laughs> to our uh, trade and policy <laughs> review of Excalibur. Uh, I liked it. Well, it's fun. Marcus Toart, it's beautiful. That's John. True. John, are you looking forward to uh, another Strong Guy book? No, I am looking forward to, from Dark Horse Comics, Apache Delivery Service number two. Uh, this movie, or this movie, this book takes place um, during the Vietnam War, where a um, Native American soldier who's been going out in kind of like a going out on his own, his own patrols and highlighting to the other soldiers where the Viet Cong are, uh, is kidnapped by kind of a ne'er-do-well rich person to help him find some missing treasure in the Vietnam jungle. Um, first episode was our first issue was actually really really interesting 
Um, it was. This is one of the books I would have had us read for last month's look back. Um, but it just there wasn't enough time for me to add the book to the group for uh, for all of us to have read it and not read it mm. um, fast and to actually just sit and kind of absorb it. Um, I actually really enjoyed the issue one. I'm actually kind of looking forward to seeing where this is going to go. I really liked the character. Um, um, his uh, his name is Ernie, and um, yeah, it just this book just kind of really worked. Um, our our writer is Matt uh, Kent, and art by Tyler Jenkins. And um, this was kind of a fun little book. Something a little, it's just kind of different. I liked it. Ooh. Chris, uh, you got a book that you're going to buy next week? I got a book I got to buy next week. Uh, I've long been a fan, on and off, of the trading card game Magic the Gathering. Uh, a lot more on as a fan since the pandemic happened, and I've been able to play the digital version Magic the Gathering Arena. And with Within the last year, we actually started to get a Magic the Gathering comic book coming out from Boom Studios, written by Jed McKay, art by Iguara. And this book almost made my favorites of 2021 list when we were putting together our Mm -hmm. annual look back, because playing the card game is very much like its own insular thing. Like, you buy the cards, you like the cards, you put the cards in your deck, you hopefully win with the cards. Um... There's a whole other side to Magic the Gathering, though, that's dwelling on the story of those cards in those sets. And the storytelling's kind of broken if you're trying to pay attention to it through the cards. They have some ancillary uh, storytelling methods with uh, short stories available online or novels that they've put out. Uh, But a comic book is right up my alley. So within the last year, we did start to get this book. And it's consistently been on my oh hey there's a new magic book out i gotta pick this up i gotta read the continuing adventures of these planeswalkers we did the first issue uh like a year ago when it came out for the monthly look back and i haven't looked back since Mm. Eh, eh, eh. Um, they just wrapped up their first big story arc uh, and now, in the fallout of that, we're going to start focusing on another group of Planeswalkers. Uh, Chandran Lar, uh, Garrick the Wildspeaker, and then a new Planeswalker that they just introduced within this last actual gameplay year, uh, Nico Eris from the Kaldheim set. And, I don't know, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with this, getting to know these characters that I like throwing down on a table, whether physical or digital. Um, Planeswalkers are cool, and I like living and seeing this world as it exists. So that's going to be my pick. Nice. And guys, since we're talking about picks, did you pick up another beer? Uh, I did. Uh, I have a beer from Community Beer Works. But they did your last beer. No, that was Big Ditch. Oh, I thought it was Community Beer Works. Sorry. No, Sorry. Uh, this is their Buffalo Oasis Tropical IPA, and this is a really enjoyable, easy-drinking, big pineapple mangoey 
IPA. That's a really, um, it's a really nice yellow color. Like I see you drinking out of, like a mason jar, and it's like, like orange juicy, like golden, yeah, golden god. Um, and let's see, you know, they have uh, Citra, Eldorado, Zecca, and it's it's really like, it's so pineapple-y. It's just it's it's really nice. I believe it's ten ninety nine for a six pack, twelve ounce can. Um, but this is just this is just really nice drinking. Like this is their late winter, early spring seasonal. I think this is going to go till May. No, I think it's going to go till March. And it's like, guys, you missed the time frame. Like. You, this needs to be out during summer. Like, this is the perfect sitting on your porch, beautiful weather beer. Is it good and after lawnmower? I don't know if I've told you this, guys, but I have a beautiful front porch mm. and back porch to sit in. Uh, uh, yeah, it would be good. It would be good after lawn mowing. <laughs> <laughs> He's got two porches, guys. Two places yeah. to put his butt. Two of them. Lovely, lovely, lovely. I also just I just want to point out, like, when Chris started his book review, and uh, he was like, "I long," I thought he was going to say for me, "I long for you," but it wasn't. It was about magic. It just, I'm, I'm sorry, John. Did he let the magic die? For like over twenty years now. I thought I thought you'd know by now. No, it's unspoken. It's unspoken. It's unspoken. Uh, I think it's 25 years, Chris, by the way. It's been, it's been a long-ass time. Yeah. Quarter of a century. <laughs> uh, Paul, did you... We've known each other longer than we've not known each other. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Paul, we've I'm known drinking... you almost as long. Almost. I'm drinking from Industrial Arts uh, Brewing Company. I know well, that... Paul, a... they did your first beer. They right? did. Right? Okay. <laughs> And they did a hazy pale ale for my first one. This is their hazy Indian pale ale. And this is coming up with 7.1% alcohol by volume. And this is just the wrench. This is wrench from them. And this is just one of those all-time easy-drinking, tropical, juicy IPAs. Now, is it it Golden God as what John just had? Maybe not, because this of uh, a pack I think got the uh, was packed back. Yeah, it says here packaged eleven one twenty twenty one. So this is a couple months old. This is you know three four months old, two months, three months old. Now, um, it's still good. It's still delicious. Still really easy drinking. Still has that little bit of uh, tropical fruitness to it. Wrenches, you know, uh, I've had it on the show before, and I'll have it on the show again, I'm pretty sure. It's, as you said, it's just, like, all-time great beer. Mm-hmm. It, there's just nothing, I mean, it's one of those, like, it was so, I probably so many people's, like, first real introduction to, like, that New England-style IPA, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, it's super hazy, it's super tropical from those hops, um, super juicy. It's great. I it, the Buffalo Oasis is nice, but it it's pale in comparison well, to 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 Wrench. Wrench is a better beer. I think I've only had Wrench once, and I remember enjoying it. But I would have to. 
have again to like remind myself. Yeah, and I think it's also one of those things like we're like, oh, you have to have this beer, Chris, and then as you're taking a sip, like Paul and I are like, yeah, staring at you, super close, like just staring at you, like it's great, right? And, you're, and I think that was still when you were like, I, uh, yeah, I don't know if I super like uh, juicy IPAs. I think I'm still a bitter boy. <laughs> and now you're not a bitter boy. Oh, I love, I love them. So, Chris, Chris that's I'm I'm not drinking a super juicy right now. Oh. Uh, I did have one while I was uh, at Dead Words, though, and I look forward to having it again, either on my own or uh, whenever one of you guys comes down, because it's definitely a spot that's uh, you stop by there now, mm-hmm. um, it, which is a great feeling. Like a new brewery, like as soon as it opens, like just kind of like getting in on the ground level. Great yeah, feeling. yeah. Before, love it. Well, it's still hush hush, kind of like uh, hush hush. Some, you can't talk about it. Kind of like a secret X Men kind of book. Can't talk about <laughs> it. I was going to say, like, during Prohibition, you can't talk about it. Huh? Because uh, my next beer is their placeholder, which is a pre Prohibition lager. And I did not know what that meant uh, when I had picked it up. So I'm actually going to read you the description from the actual website, uh, which reads. Before Prohibition, lagers flowed freely with rich, smooth mouthfeel, a grainy sweetness from brewing with corn, and a slightly higher alcohol percentage. This classic lager is brewed with Tennessee-grown six-row malt pilsner, uh, pilsner malt, uh, malted dent yellow corn, and traditional crystal hops. Uh, 5.3% ABV. It's got that corn bite on it. Uh, John, do you remember that bottle of, like, Corn whiskey that corn your dad whiskey? had. It has that like you take a sip and you're like, oh, that's corn. Like, that's, that's, yeah, it's in there, but it's still like that nice like like malt there with it too. Uh, you get a little bit of that hop on it. Uh, this is fantastic, and again, it's a little bit higher than your normal lager, five point three percent. But I picked up a four pack of this and no complaints. Like this, this is everything I want out of a lager, but. I feel like any other lager I have after this is going to be like, no, it's just not not flavorful enough. Like it's just, there's just not enough there, not enough corn. You got to make me feel like I'm running through the Nebraska cornfields, buck you naked, corn and after running uh, after having a roll in the hay with the farmer's daughter. You know, you gotta gotta sell me the whole experience. You gotta sell me the whole year. <laughs> uh, but I I knew it that night. And the next day, Yanni asked me too, like, "Hey, twenty-four hours later, how do you feel about Dead Words?" And it's like, "Yeah, loved it. Like, great experience." Uh, and you said it was pretty close to your house too, right? It's pretty close. It was, I think, maybe like a twelve-minute drive. And the kicker for it too is, it's like, "Oh, this is on the way to Sideward." Like, it's like, "Oh, <laughs> this is literally the route that I take to Sideward." Uh, instead of driving straight past the Popeyes, now I just turn right, and it's it's right there. We also have to remember that Chris is spoiled by living like right next to Founders for years. I mean, it was like it was five like minutes minute, away. It was a two minute drive, but yeah, you know, oh, yeah, it was yeah. pretty close. Yeah. Um, close. So everything else is like just eh, well, you know, it's pretty close. It's a twelve minute drive. Uh, I'm. I'm probably six, seven minutes from um, Twelve Gates Brewery, oh. 
But I'm never going to go there because oh. I don't really like their beers. <laughs> the Twelve Gates wasn't bad when we went there. Like, it's not bad, but it's they they're they haven't done anything that's wowed me in years. And also, it's in uh, a we, it's in a it's in a weird location, yeah. but it's still close. Uh, it's really close. In, in its defense, Ellipsis is in like <clears throat> a weird business park, like <clears throat> yeah, three blocks away from anything. And but there's sometimes when you do that, and it's fun, <clears throat> like that. Um, Paul, like when we walked into, um, oh, what's the one in Detroit? Uh, oh, uh, uh, it starts with a K. Hey, uh, they did the cereal uh, ones. Yeah, um, Cunahan. 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 Like I slid on Cunahan's Chris. in an Cunahan's yeah. in an old Pizza Hut. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it was like back side streets, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, this is it here, and you go in, and it's like a Pizza Hut. Um, but I have uh, One-Eyed Cat is opening in like a month or two, and they're going to be like four or five minutes from my house, and they make just really good beer. So I'm excited about that. I still have to drive like 20-something minutes to get to 42 North. So, yeah. But I like 42 North quite a bit. And you know what I like? A dramatic reading. And now... A dramatic reading from Buffy, the Last Vampire Slayer, page 11, panel 6. Tap, tap, tap. You ducking wish? Great. Stupid autocorrect. That was a dramatic reading from Buffy, the Last Vampire Slayer, number 1, page 11, panel 6. But didn't Buffy awaken all the Slayers? Uh, it happened in the the show. I don't know where we stand currently in the comics because they have also gotten to the point where there are multiple slayers. Um, we're pseudo future. It, it's an interesting world. We were supposed yeah. to read it for the look back, but then I was like, "Oh, Paul's not going to get anything out of this." And then turns out, little- you, turns out you probably could have. Probably could have. Uh, I could I have gotten that joke about autocorrect in the, still, in the weird quasi feature. It, it's there if you ever want to check it out, because I do plan on buying the second one eventually. Uh, guys, are, are we ready to talk about our main topic, or do we want to talk about our next beer? And I have, from 42 North, Paul's favorite local brewery, uh, their Hoptography series, and they have brewed a black IPA. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. And if you guys know anything about the three of us, it is that we love black IPAs. Uh, Hot Profile, Azeka, Cascade, Chinook, 6.8%. Notes of light pine resin. Nope. Uh, Sweet malt. Mm. Citrus. Yes. Very citrusy. This is very orange up front. And you don't get any of the roasty, dark beer that you expect or want. At least I want in a black IPA. So is it a problem with the hop that they use? Where Since they're not using like a West it's, Coast style hop? I think it's a problem with the malt that they're using. Okay. The malt definitely gives it the dark color, but mm-hmm. doesn't give you any of the nice roastiness that you want out of a black IPA? 
You, you know why I'm asking that, right? Because when we were making our own black IPAs at home by, you know, making a half and half or a black and tan, as some people call them, um, we were choosing, like, West Coast IPA styles. Yes. Right? Yes, we were. So could we, could you make a black and tan with a New England style IPA? Yes. Would Communi- it be good? Community Beer Works made it with the um, Atlantis beer that yeah, the, Paul, the beer you and I, like Atlantis. Oh. you and I both had and really liked. That was a, like basically an American slash New England IPA made into a black IPA, and it worked because the roastiness that you want mm. in the beer balanced and worked with the hop profile of that kind of more juicy IPA versus just bitter. This, I think they went too far. When we made those, our own Mm -hmm. IPAs, we added a little more of the stout and then added a little more of the IPA. And then we found that balance with, if you listen to that pod, those two podcasts, we did it when it was like, this is, 75% 75% stout with this much IPA or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. our, our balance was. This, they went too far on the hoppy side. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's not a bad drinking beer. It just doesn't deliver what it's supposed to be. And it's very citrus forward. And I actually like this beer now. I opened four beers. I was going to pass on this, and I grabbed three other beers to try, all being darker beers that I wasn't having any any good time with. This beer now tastes better because of it, but it's still not because of the roastiness. It's just mm. actually better than the other three beers I opened. I don't want to brag, but at Dead Words Brewing uh, the other day, I had their black IPA, uh, Bastet, and it was basically everything you want out of like a black IPA or Cascadian dark ale, as like is the proper term for it. Uh, just like that really nice toasty, like roasty malt, like in the middle, and then that like hop creeping up on the back. Uh, Yanni picked up a crawler of it. It's sitting in the fridge now, and she was going to share it with me. It probably won't be tonight, but I look forward <laughs> to the day that we do, because that was the first beer that I got when we went there. Because, again, like you said, I see a black IPA on the menu. I, I have to you, get it. you like, got to drink it. <laughs> and that was what set me off on like my dead words. Like, okay, this is a brewery I need to pay attention to, because it was done so well. And then the first beer that she got was their Sati, which was aged in their in-house, like, clay amphora that was fantastic and just, like, hit you in the face with, like, a nice, like, dark stone fruit and then you got, like, the cloves on it and I'm like, yeah, this is fantastic. Like, this is great. Like, this brewery, okay. There's, and I've never been to Dead Words, but there's taking, okay, this is how you do it and we're going to do it that way kind of a mentality. And then there's, like, trying to get too clever with it. And I think that's 42 North. 42 North tries to get too clever with 
just about everything that they do, sometimes it really hits and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> and, you know, Paul, you're smirking, but it's like Red Army mm-hmm. was their brewer that left because he couldn't work with the owners anymore and went back to Florida. That's his mm-hmm. recipe. What they've been doing lately is just trying to be too clever. Oh, we're going to make a wheat ale and we're going to use these hops. And then you get it and you're like, this doesn't work. Like, they do a lot of beers that you're just kind of like, this doesn't really work for me. And it just feels like they're just trying to be too clever. Um, I can only speak speak from the beers that Paul sent down that we had on the show in. I haven't had any of the stuff that's coming off as too clever because I did enjoy everything that we had, like the Scotch Ale, the like the Stout Towns. It wasn't a knockout stout, but it was it was a great stout, especially like you know drinking log into the night recording a podcast. Like it, it felt good. But that also that stout was brewed with like four other breweries. True. <laughs> point, and, point to John. Yeah, and that Scotch Ale. Wasn't that great? It wasn't that great. I, no, I like. I liked it. I mean, you liked it, but Paul. It would be my go-to Scotch ale, but like for something that you know, one of my friends sent me from one of like yeah. the local breweries. Like I was like, yeah, like this is great. Like I, I enjoyed it. They're all drinkable. They're beers that are drinkable, but they just don't. They just don't have that finesse. They just can't mm-hmm. like nail it. This black IPA is just missing what makes it a black IPA. Yeah, it's dark in color. Yeah, you guys got that. But the flavor profile that you want in a black IPA is not there. What you're trying to do with like a wheat beer, it's just not it's just not there. Why would if you're not you're not making a wheat IPA, they were making a wheat beer that they overhopped. You know, like it's mm. just they just kind of keep just miss just missing in my in my opinion. <clears throat> but uh, Chris, what are you drinking? Uh, my final. Oh beer wait, I'm oh, going to talk about because oh, this is what about Paul, the other beer. Is, yeah, he, he, he half listened. Yeah, because he were going to let Chris do it and then come back oh, in with okay. the next one. I don't know. Paul told me what I was supposed to do and I wasn't but, listening. So that's okay. Uh, my final beer of the night from. Somehow it's still my fault. (laughs) You're the one that screwed up, John. Uh, You're the one that told me I had to do it. I'm talking about my beer, hushed. Uh, This is their Sangriel, and this is an American-style fruited sour, uh, 6.5% ABV, and this is inspired by Sangria, like just delightful garden party beverage. You go out to the bowl, it's in there, it's got ice in it, it has like those orange rings floating in it, and this hits those notes. Um... They don't call out what fruit it's actually brewed with, but on the side of the can, it does mention that it's brewed with like tropical citrus, dark berries, and passion fruit. Um, it's Sounds it's like all there to me. It's all standing out. Like it's it's delicious. And Yanni got this at the brewery, and when she passed it over to me to take a sip, I was like, "Oh, yeah!" And then. She, she doesn't listen to the podcast, but she knows like our terminology. And she looked at me as like pork spear, and I'm like, oh hell yeah! Like <laughs> this, it, it's perfect. Um, my only complaint is this one they sell as individual cans. It did not come in any mm-hmm. kind of like four pack to go or anything like that. Uh, so we had to buy two cans of it, and we just we bought two cans because again we had been drinking, we had gotten food, 
I picked up two other four packs. So when I went over to the cooler and I was like, oh, it's single cans. Like, okay, well, I'll just grab one for each of us. Uh, if this had come in a four pack, I would have grabbed the four pack of it. And I would not have looked back. But it's just one of those things that's like, I'm going to walk back over to the bar carrying like two four packs and like four single beers? No, that's, you're asking <laughs> me to juggle? I can't do that. I can understand in the sense of this beer is, it's, I'm only assuming, is good enough that people would want to buy that four-pack. And if they put the four-packs, they'd be out of it probably right away. Where Possibly. Doing the singles, and maybe it costs a little bit more, so it makes more sense for them to charge mm-hmm. it as a single. Because you don't feel ripped off when you pay $5 for a single can, but sometimes when you pay 20 bucks for, for a four-pack, four you're just okay. like... Mm-hmm. I can see that working, you know, as another, like, what they might be thinking. But sometimes it makes those beers are just really expensive for all those fruits that they're using. So, you know, I, well, however, but my complaint is null. It's void. It doesn't matter because this is delicious. Like, this is my favorite beer I've had of the night. And that's why I saved it for the end because I knew I'm like, yeah, this is delicious it's something i want to take my time with i want to sip i want to savor but also it's just such a delightful tropical sour pop on it that like you want to keep going back into it but i can't i only i only have this one i need to pace myself it's delicious though (laughs) um i say this to you guys as my friends and fellow podcasters i say this to anybody else that might be listening you're coming to orlando Check out Dead Words. Like it's, it's the new brewery house about that. I can't wait to see what they do next. And I said in our like text message thread last night, like you know, time will tell. Like if the consistency is there, or if it's going to be a place maybe like forty two north, forty two north, or Dead Lizard down the road, where yeah, they do good beers, but they keep doing those good beers. It's going to depend if they're able to bring that same care and love and inventiveness and experimentality to everything else that they do that they had with this initial like first weekend we're open here's what we're putting out like batch of stuff because if every time I go there there's like 10 new beers on there and all of them are like knockout like yeah that's going to be like my top three favorite breweries in Orlando hands down because everything that we said we love about going to a brewery they had it there on that first visit and I just want more and I don't want to be let down by it not being what I expect next time I go. Um, like when you sent us the thing, like the, the menu and the pictures and everything, cause that's, I mean, one, we're best friends. So when you hit those spots, Oh, I was always, super excited. I'm it's like, always hey, new kind place. Of, Check this out. It's always kind of fun to do. And at first, like when I was looking at it and, because Chris sent a picture of the like the beer menu, and it says the Resurrection, Traditional, Evolution, um, Abomination. And I'm looking at it, and I was like, oh, is this like a – is it a franchise brewery? Like, it just seems like how they have – like, they're smart how they've organized what they're doing, almost to a sense where it seemed like it was, like, manufactured, like – these are these beers, these are the styles, we put them in these categories. 
But like when you look at everything and how you're saying that they're doing stuff, it seems like these guys are just really rather smart. And like you said, like everything you've had from them is pretty good except for the West Coast just because it's the style that you're not. Yeah, that's on me. You're not digging. Mm-hmm. But it seems like these guys, these guys have been around for a while. So uh, the head brewer was involved in the brewing scene. Um, I think he was from Oregon. Like he has a bio on their website, so mm. he's someone that has worked in breweries before and like won awards, and then moved down here. I was like, no, I want to keep doing what I do. Like, yeah, let let me let me do it. Let me live. Um, but literally, like when we walked in there, and after sitting down and getting like the first beer and like sampling some other stuff and making the food, I was like, this is the place I need to bring my mom because I've talked about her before on the show. She's pop culture adjacent. She's into some of the stuff we talk about. Like it's she's a cool radar. mom. She's a cool mom. Like she's not like other moms. She's a cool mom. Um, but she <laughs> likes craft beer. Like she likes to try different stuff. Like she'll send me a text message and I'll be like, Hey, I picked up this day. Like it'll be like some random beer that she saw at the store and like wanted to, to try. But walking in there, I'm like, Oh, this place is like semi classy. Like my mom likes trying different beers and like world cuisine like this is this is her jam like and I can't wait for that moment like being in the brewery maybe be like I need to text my mom and tell her like hey when are you coming down here again so you know what dead words hell yeah like I can't wait uh Chris's mom when Chris had moved away and I was starting to date Caitlin I <laughs> your mom was like oh I really want to go to Blue Monk before it closes and I was like, Chris's mom, come out to dinner. Like, meet my, my girlfriend, and uh, we'll have dinner with you. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm down. She met us out. First time my wife met her, loves Chris's mom. And I just had dinner and a few beers <laughs> with Chris's mom. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that with my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Did she get the elk burger? That's my question, because Blue Monk had a delicious elk burger. I don't remember. I th- mm. I don't remember what we food wise what we got. That's okay, because now I need to throw it well, over you- to Paul to talk about his beer, so John can then interrupt him. Oh, uh, I have a beer that I drank that I didn't like. Paul, oh good. Uh, I- I'm drinking uh, Torque Wrench, and this is from Industrial Arts Brewing Company, and this is their Hazy Double. Indian Pale Ale. That's right. We're stepping on up. This is 8.2% alcohol by volume. And, um, yeah, it's just more of the same from Wrench, honestly. Like, um, just hits a little bit heavier. But the the flavor isn't as light, isn't as fresh, isn't as vibrant. It's just a little bit, you know, heavier. Just everything about it just feels a little bit heavier. But also, I, we've been drinking and been talking for quite a while, so uh, maybe it's just hitting me different. Uh, but no, Torque Wrench is good. Like, if you can't find regular wrench, decent decent to, uh, to drink. Torque Wrench I, Torque Wrench isn't my favorite. What's the? There's four beers in there. What's the other beer? Do you have it there? Uh, yeah, it's Impact Wrench. Impact Wrench. And that's their that's triple. That's their triple. I'm afraid to open it tonight, so I might not. Yeah, I mean, do what you. I mean, you've got to do what you feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, you might be a giant wuss, but yeah, 
I mean, I am. I have all these open beers in front of <laughs> but, me. But you also don't want and to you drink don't any like any of them either. No, they don't. Uh, no, they're not good. I'm not going to say they're not good. These are beers that I was like, oh, I've had this in my fridge for a while. I should drink it, and it just doesn't hold up to what it should be. Um, <clears throat> but what? What I think does hold up to what it should be is our main topic, which is uh, Marvel's Captain Marvel. Hey guys, that's going to head into our main topic, which, again, is the 21st part of our great Marvel movie retrospective, where we're going back through and watching all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies again, knowing where they came from and where they're going, what they lead into and where we are now. And watching this one again, this is one of the movies I've watched a couple times since it came out. Mm -hmm. But when I actually looked up the year and saw that it came out in 2019, this is the one more than anything else that we've talked about. I'm like, oh, that was yesterday, but it was 2019. Mm. Um, This one hit me in a different way because I've already been living in Florida for a couple years before this one came out. But this movie has like a weird different meaning for me. And I'm going to take off my headphones so nobody say anything. Because I won't be able to hear you. But, uh, talked about it briefly on the show before, but I worked for Disney for a few years. And when I actually signed up for my Disney credit union account with partners, the sign-up gift... At the time, was a beautiful Captain Marvel coming soon T-shirt. So uh. this movie is forever ingrained in my head. It's like, oh, this movie came out when I signed up for my bank account, and like the free gift was like, hey, here's this T-shirt, and I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to Captain Marvel coming out. Cool. You, you so, see, proving again that you're better than Aunt May from uh, Spider-Man 2 because she did not get her free... She uh, did not. Joel McHale did not want to give her that. Um, but, and this is the thing. Because, like All of these movies, I have some sort of outside relationship to. Just outside of being a fan of the universe or the characters or the franchise. Um, every one of these movies I've been able to say, like, oh, I saw this during this point of my life doing this mm-hmm. but uh, this I have a, like an actual tangible thing that was like no this is what <laughs> you did when this movie was coming out and it's weird because every time I put this shirt on whether I'm just like wearing it out and about or just like as an undershirt for something else I put this shirt on and I think like oh that's when I signed up for my bank account with the Disney credit union which Growing up, I always wanted to work for Disney. Moved down here to chase that dream. Uh, dreams sometimes die, guys, because you know what? You got to watch out for yourself. Um, and also, they close the stores. <laughs> I got out before that happened. I, I'm fine with it. Um, but it's like it was a weird thing because I was like, "Holy crap!" This movie came out 2019. I'd already been here for like two and a half years at that point. Like. I had seen multiple other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies Mm -hmm. down here at that point. I think Ant-Man was the first one. Um, But 
again, this one just has like a weird significance to me because of this dumb free t-shirt that I got that I had to put it on today because I'm like, I get to talk about my dumb free t-shirt. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I don't know where where we want to go and where I was when I watched it. I was uh, working a uh, job uh, out in Campbell, New York, offsite, and I actually went down to uh, what is that small corn uh, Cornell, and I actually watched uh, the movie there, and then went to get uh, from to Liquid Shoes uh, a beer, and then I was like, these beers aren't good, and left. Mm. Uh, I went back to the hotel and then woke up and just worked again. Then you drank four more beers and you're like, you know what? Maybe that liquid shoes wasn't that bad. <laughs> uh, I saw this movie with my wife in a movie theater after my son was born. Oh, wow. Uh, it, it was probably one of the first times we went out to the movies after he was born. I'm guessing. <laughs> the second I time I watched this movie uh, was in the movie theater on my birthday, uh, where we went to see this movie and then went right in to watch Avengers Endgame. Because mm. that's a, in theater. That's a the heavy afternoon. It was fun because you know we get the you buy the jumbo popcorn and you get the free refill when we actually got the free refill. It was one of the very only times that I've ever got the free refill. Oh, you Paul, you always get the free refill to take home, and then you just nosh on that popcorn for like the next three days because you're like, oh, I ate a whole bucket the other day. I can just take a couple handfuls now. Well, normally I don't buy the jumbo because I'm like, why would I? spend that much. Why would I spend more well, on popcorn re- than I do refill. on filet mignon? You get the free refill, though. Per ounce. <laughs> Even but, by per ounce standards, Chris. But whatever this movie means to us, this movie also means a lot to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. And it did come underneath a lot of fire because this movie was instantly thought of as by some toxic fans as catering to like the SJWs like this is like oh well all female superhero movie she's they're gonna soy boy it up whatever I don't I don't know I'm not no, I'm not that person it doesn't matter to me but right from the get-go when this movie was announced and then Brie Larson was announced as having been cast as Cara Danvers <laughs> like this movie was instantly coming under fire and I think a lot of that was Misearned, like because there's nothing in this movie to hate. Like I think there's some questionable choices that it makes, and we'll kind of get into some of them as we go on. But as a Marvel Cinematic Universe origin story, like your first introduction to the character, I think this mm-hmm. is one of the best done that we've seen. At I, I want to say at this point, you know, 21 movies in, but I think mm-hmm. even going back to everything that we now know has come after, I I think Captain Marvel is the best superhero origin story that we've gotten from one of these movies. And I think a lot of it's due to the fact that it has that nonlinear storytelling, that it does a good job of bringing you into the world and the character before telling you who she is. And I would say maybe 
Black Panther's origin story is better because we get that in Civil War. Mm-hmm. But his, you know, origin movie, I think, did a disservice to the character. I have no issues with the Captain Marvel origin. Even though this movie is kind of middling for me, like, we'll talk about that at the end yeah. when we go over our rankings. It's not my favorite Marvel movie, but I think it's my favorite Marvel origin story movie. Johnny forgot to Thank turn you. on. Yeah, you never turned your Sorry, mic back when on. I took I my headphones out, I break. saw that it was picking up on the mic, so I turned the mic off. Thank you. Uh, I'm glad you said that, Chris, because I do really like this movie, and I do think it is a great origin story for the character. Mm-hmm. One, it doesn't. You don't have to try to fit her into a world where all these characters already exist. Yes, you throw in young Nick Fury, but. It works really well, and actually, this is like right in the middle for for the retrospective mm-hmm. for me. And it's I'm it's above all the other origin stories, and I'm fighting whether or not I put it before or after Iron Man one. You, you don't have to fight. No, that I know yet. it's. We're going to talk it's, about it. We got like the, another hour to discuss. Like, don't because I think it's on par with Iron Man One. I had a similar discussion with myself last night after we finished watching it because I, after we were done, I pulled up my list that we have in our docs for the episode notes, and I'm like, where do I put this? And looking at some of the movies that I had in the middle, I'm like. I think this is better than that, but I also say I like that movie more than, like, mm. you said Iron Man 1, like, holy crap, do I think Captain Marvel's better than Iron Man 1, so I I completely understand. Paul, you're gonna... I, I haven't looked at the list yet, and I actually haven't thought about where I would like, put this on the list, so when we come to that, it's gonna be gut check time for me. But uh, I kind of want to agree with you, Chris, that this is an origin film without feeling like an origin film because when we're introduced to Veers, she has her powers. She has been learning how to control them and everything. And it's a mystery to her yeah. as to how she got them or what they are or how to use them. But and in a classic superhero origin story, there is no mystery. It's like, oh, I got bit by a spider. Or, oh, I was born smart. on a, made other a planet. Metal. Like, yeah. Like, we we see them get the power, and we're just, like, then along the boring line of them, of, you know, the trite, not boring, but the trite storytelling of them learning how to use their powers, and then fighting a, car- a villain that has the exact same powers in an opposite uh, color scheme. So this doesn't do that. This this introduces you the characters. She has the power. She's been established with the powers. And then she's solving her own mystery of like, oh, well, how did I get these powers? Or who am I really? Why don't I remember my past? And she's fun. She's cocky without being overly arrogant. She's lands that role. She walks that type rope very well. And Chris, you want to say something? Because uh, I had a thought while watching this that I don't think I've ever had before because it kind of hit me when it came into my mind. If this movie had been done, like the storytelling 
mixed up and they had done everything chronologically, this would have been the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. Like, almost beat for mm-hmm. beat. And I think that would have been a terrible take. And I know I would not have had the same view on this movie and this character in the MCU if it had been told that way. And I think ultimately, like, breaking that story up and seeding things through and having you not learn who Carol is and how she got these powers until, like, the last third of the movie, I I think that saved it. Because if it had done it in the opposite direction, like, this probably would have been at the bottom of my list, like, besides stuff like Incredible Hulk and mm-hmm. Thor of the Dark World. Like, I think everything that they decided to do was the exact right choice that they needed to make for this movie. And it, it works incredibly well. And I think having well. the villains of I mean, and Ben Mendelsohn of is the scroll Jude Law like mm-hmm. having those those actors with some gravitas that can carry those performances mm-hmm. like yes like in Green Lantern you had Sinestro where he wasn't he didn't really fall till the post credit scene but the um I can't think of as the the big brain guy uh in Green Lantern what was the character's name? Who's got the big brain and these? Oh, mm-hmm. I, I can see. Yeah, I, can I can see, see him see. on the cover of like the Jeff Johns, Ethan Van Skyver Sy- stuff. Sorry, Sy- Hec- yeah, Hector, Hector Hammond. What was his name? Uh, but like Hector yeah, Hammond, I, and then that really this. bad um, parallax. Like they just didn't fit as villains, and Jude Law and Ben Mendelsohn are villains and Captain Marvel's acquaint allies. Uh, allies. And it just it just really yeah. works because even at the end, Jude Law still has a connection to <laughs> Carol Danvers, like to Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Like it it all just he's he's not he's a bad he's a bad guy, but he's not like a bad guy yeah, he's, but he's he is terrible. he is so a bad guy to, so yeah. general like plot synopsis this movie tells the story of a kind of like amnesiac human who has gained superpowers that's living amongst the Kree during the Kree Skull Wars which is a huge touchstone in Marvel comic book history like the Kree Skull War like intergalactic planetary warfare huge ordeal and we're seeing everything from her viewpoint where she's basically been gaslit into believing like mm-hmm. no the the Kree are noble hero warriors like she says that to Nick Fury mm-hmm. like as they're trying to gain some like information on just what's been going on and who Veers is like she thinks that they're this great thing but it takes learning who she is and where she came from to learn that no, like I'm, I'm buying the lines that they're selling me, but in reality, like maybe we're the baddies. It's one of those mm-hmm. moments. And in seeing all of this story play out, we get introduced to Nick Fury and, uh, 
Agent Coulson and S.H.I.E.L.D. and like the building blocks for what's going to become Avengers and the MCU and it it sets up so much that's already been set up that it's hard not to think of a movie like Solo where they set this movie in the 90s to answer questions that people weren't asking mm-hmm. about the MCU universe. But Captain Marvel's able to do it in a way that Solo kind of failed at. And I hope that kind of makes sense and I'm selling it right to you guys because, again, Solo sets up a character that everybody knows and loves where mm-hmm. Captain Marvel's setting up a universe that everybody knows and loves. And you didn't need to know where Nick Fury came up with the name for the Avengers Initiative. Mm-hmm. But you get that in this. And it feels better and more organic than Woody Harrelson tossing a gun to someone and being like, here you go, here's a blaster. And then it's like, oh, that's Han Solo's blaster. Like, yeah. th- that felt cheap. While well, this, it felt right. I don't know, uh, because... Honestly, calling it the Avengers or not, like, it didn't really matter. I think the biggest, like, Easter egg or reveal was how Nick Fury loses his eye. Which, being scratched up by a flurg? Flurkin. Flurkin? It's whatever. It's like, okay... That's a- After all these years of him being like, the last time I trusted somebody, I lost my eye. And then it turned out to be a Which cat. he was very sweet with the last and time so he trusted the other, somebody. Like, I, not to cut either of you off, but like, this is the one thing where no, I no. was like, when I was watching this, I was like, you know, it's really funny that Carol Danvers in this, she's so headstrong and kind of fun. And then what we see of her... In the Avengers movies where she pops up, she's very, like, no-nonsense, I-have-a-job-to-do kind of thing. Same thing with what we see with um, Nick Fury. But you got to think, this is 20 years in their past. What they've done for the last 20 years has changed them. Chris, yes? Um, Because in... Actuality, they had filmed all of no. the scenes with Captain Marvel for Endgame before they did this movie. So literally, when the Russo brothers were filming stuff for the next film in the Marvel franchise, like Captain Marvel hadn't appeared yet. So they were like, "Well, who is she as a character? We don't know yet." So kind of make her ambiguous, as bland, cookie cutter, powerful as power like as possible because. Mm-hmm. That's someone else's problem, which was a disservice to that movie. And I think kind of did a disservice to Captain Marvel, too, because they are very different takes on the character at that point. So I look forward to seeing her in more stuff going forward, so there can be that through line. Or, can I jump in here? I'm sorry, Oh, you absolutely may. Or, is it not a disservice to the character? Does this allow... Because she's such a blank slate in the other movie she appears in, to let this be a more of a standalone film. Like and the reason I like Captain Marvel and have gone back to watch this movie more so than some of the other Marvel cinematic movies is because I can put it on 
and it doesn't carry the whole weight of the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe upon it. There's, it's just yeah. I I the Captain Marvel movie last night. I watched probably forty minutes of the movie, and then my mother-in-law, who lives with us, came in and was like, "What are you watching?" I said, "Captain Marvel," and she's like, "Oh, okay. What is it?" And I kind of explained it to her, and it's like, "Do you want me to start it over?" I'll, and she's like, "Yeah." And we watched probably 10, 15 minutes, and she's like, I don't like this. <laughs> and I was like, I totally understand. She's like, it's just like a lot of like flying around action and bright lights. And I was like, that's a Marvel movie, Sue. Like, yep. And then I fast forwarded mm-hmm. to where I'd left off and, and continue watching. But yeah, it was, I had no problem going back rewatching from the beginning and I had no problem fast forwarding and finding where I had left off. Mm-hmm. And I think Paul you're right like it does kind of just fits right. But Captain Marvel 2. Do you want it in that 20 year span of what she's been doing or do you want it after Infinity? Like where does this char- this character yes, she's part of the Marvel universe and she's been seen with the Avengers but she doesn't fit anywhere in in those movies, and I think that's what is nice about this so, movie. It's like Iron Man One, where it is its own entity. Yeah, I, it can stand on its own. That, and that's kind of one of the things that Paul, when you pose that question, I I have to wait to see Captain Marvel two, aka the Marvels, as they're now calling it, because it's going to be tying into stuff that we've seen and will be seeing with uh, Monica Rambeau from WandaVision and then uh, Miss Marvel from the Disney Plus show that we haven't gotten yet mm-hmm. popping up in that movie. Like It's going to be that like tie everything together franchise film. But I wanted to answer those questions because, yeah, we got to see Captain Marvel in the 90s and who she was at that point. We've seen her in like the, I guess you call it the current day Marvel universe where Mm -hmm. it might be a little bit like, no, I'm tired. I'm worn out at the end of my solo movie. I flew off with the scrolls to find them a new home world. I come back. Earth's gone to shit. Where's my friend fury. Now here's where I am. Like, so there's like a good 20 years at least between where she leaves and where she comes back that they can tell stories from. And I think the Marvels is going to have to straddle that line and tell where she went at the end of her movie to how she came back, but still drive the story forward. And I think Captain Marvel as a movie has shown me that like that's something that they can possibly do well, but it's also going to depend on, I think what we get coming out of, the Miss Marvel show because that's gone back for reshoots. They've started adding new characters in that are going to be flushing out the story. And I have a feeling a lot of that's to build into where they're going with the Marvels because that's already wrapped filming. Like we're not going to see it for like another like year and a half, but that movie's done now. So I feel like everything that they're doing with reshoots and adding on for the Miss Marvel show is to really set the stage for that. Um, so, Paul, I'm sorry, I talked a lot just to say I don't have an answer because it's going to really depend on what comes next. Or or you take my philosophy, Chris. 
the philosophy that I've had since uh, we talked about our look forward back in nineteen in twenty nineteen, looking forward to twenty twenty, and I said movies are over, guys. There are no movies. There are no movies anymore. Endgame, Endgame, and, and uh, uh, the Rise of Skywalker came out. There doesn't. There's no more movies. So we so watch the movies that you have, and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about I, I'm never the setups. Worried. I'm never worried about stuff, but I do love doing these episodes because it makes me go back and rewatch something that I might not have chosen to rewatch. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think about things in ways I haven't before. Because now I have to worry, Chris, about, okay, well, when does the Secret Invasion miniseries come out on uh, Disney Plus? Because is that... Before the Marvels or after the Marvels? If it's before the Marvels, then obviously this is going to. Then I want to see the flashbacks of Carol leading the scroll someplace because that'll set up Secret Invasion. If it's after, then you know. Then what? I, what do I want from that we'll, movie? We'll I don't to, know. We'll have then to trust why Marvel. am I worried about it? You, there you are, are no more movies. You don't have to worry. Just, there are no movies, Paul. You just have to let things pop up and then. Watch yeah. it when you're supposed to watch it and hope that exactly. they made the right choices in the lead up to you watching it. Except for this out. movie, which is you do not watch this in the order that it was actually released. Don't do it. Um, it's the worst. I don't know. I feel like who, this is that's a good time to watch it. No. No. Who went to the movie theater? Who went to the movie theater saw uh, Marvel's uh Infinity War. Went then went you know waited a couple months you know basically almost a year. Went to see Captain Marvel. Said hey what a great movie, and then waited a few months then saw Endgame. And then who among us went to see Infinity War? Waited for months almost a year. Went to see Captain Marvel, and then immediately watched Endgame right afterwards the there same were, day in the theater. There was also Ant Man and the Wasp in there too. Yeah. That came out before Captain Marvel. Okay. So we had two we had two movies. Before. Okay. But this yeah, this movie leads right into Endgame. But it doesn't the emotions of it doesn't feel like a good lead in to Endgame. Um I You know what I, I mean? Would, no, I, I you have to watch that. Infinity War and Endgame together. But I also feel like at the same time Infinity War doesn't lead into Ant Man and the Wasp because going right. from that like they're two very different movies, and it kind of forces Ant-Man and the Wasp to end where it does, because you get everybody being snapped away with Scott being trapped in the quantum You don't need like, to watch that, and you don't need to watch it post-credit scene. In fact, you, I think these do, movies though, are better without If you don't watch that scenes. post-credit scene, though, like, you go into Endgame, like, who, who's Scott Lang? Where well, was he? Who's Scott Lang, but, like, where, yeah, what, what's he doing in there? Like, what, what happens? But you know the snapping happened because you yeah, watched Infinity. But then you War. don't know that he got snapped while he was in the quantum realm. But you, yeah, you. But do. you don't. You don't need to know where that yeah, or not. They explain you, you that in know. Endgame. They explain it in Endgame. No, he's in the quantum realm and like he comes back because a rat hits a button on the dashboard oh, yeah, yeah, and then I he's like, the quantum, and he just says, I, "I was in the quantum realm." And da, da, da. like I, I, you, I think right. you need it. I do. I think you need. I don't think you need any post credit scene. I think you don't need. I, I any think of them. you need. 
I, I think a lot of them you don't need. I think you need the post credit of, of all of them. You, Infinity War. You do need that because one. you have right before he turns into dust. Nick Fury hits that that button and calls Captain Marvel, which then sets mm-hmm. up her coming. T- this post credit no, scene that is. Which doesn't line up with the it movie. Does. That's she but saves so, Tony Stark. It, it doesn't it, line up with the movie. It pseudo but you does. Then but see that thing being handed off. It's not. No, it's it's not one for one, and I will give you that, Paul, because post credit scene Infinity War, Fury hits like the pager that she gets or she gives him at the end of Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. and then her post credit scene, she appears at the Avengers compound asking, "Where's Fury?" And then beginning third, maybe, of Endgame, she discovers uh, Nebula and Tony Stark floating in the nothingness of space brings them back to Earth. Like, It's not like a cool through line, and I think, Paul, I will give you credit because they could have easily hand-waved it away where it's like, oh, Captain Marvel found the Milano in space, and then was like, oh, shit, you guys are from Earth? Okay, let me take you back there, and then finds out What's what? So I yeah. think that all is kind of like, yeah, you don't have the pager. It still kind of works. But I do think you need to have at least the Ant-Man one just to say, like, he's trapped in the quantum realm. He comes back and is like, no, time doesn't matter there. Because otherwise, th- that kind of doesn't make sense. And if you just got that moment in Endgame, it would kind of be like, well, that's that's a little bit cheap. Still a great movie, but that moment, I think, would have just kind of felt forced. What John. number Marvel movie is this? 21. 21. 21 movies with post credit scenes. post credit scenes, some of them having nothing to do with the next movie, some of them having a lot to do. Mm-hmm. People stay. People get up and leave in a Marvel movie, and you look at the person next to you and you go, what the fuck is wrong with people? Why would they do that? Yeah. So mm-hmm. in that sense, all of these things do lead up to the next one. I think they're all great post credit scenes. To push forward the movies that are coming out. Yes, you don't need them, Paul. You and they also right. kind of make the movie so you, if you missed them, you didn't stay for that. They still work, but you are getting mm-hmm. some small extra little detail to help you through to the next. And they're also assuming that you watched them, and they work better the movies work better because you saw them i also don't think we need to discuss this anymore because we're just going to get stuck in this round robin (laughs) (laughs) well we're doing a marvel movie retrospective watching now having watched these movies going back i would not sit through and watch the you don't need to watch you don't need to watch like what i would again once you've seen them the first time you don't need to see them again Yes, I agree. You don't. Okay. But sitting in... Okay. But... Thank but, you. You agree. But... No, nope, we're moving on. You're right, John. We're stuck. Let's move on. Time, they matter. <laughs> I would say... For the first time they add excitement, they're a movie yeah, trailer. But they matter. You have the option, re-watching the movies, to watch them again if you mm-hmm. want. You don't have to. I rewatched them for the retrospective so I can talk about them. Yeah. 
And I will say, I, I do watch them too, so I can take notes, but a lot of them, it's just also because I can tell you what happens in Captain Marvel, like the movie, but I don't remember like all the mid-credits or post-credits things because in most cases they don't matter, but sometimes it right. might lead into something else. As part of this retrospective, and having watched this one, this is the one that finally like broke me. I'm like, why am I during this retrospective? Why am I watching these post credits again? Why am I doing this? Because this one doesn't even line up with the next because the next movie. Because it's twenty years and it just actually longer than that. But also, like, but but the no I, the post credit scene happens. I, I understand what Paul's saying, but the mid credit scene for Captain Marvel does act like you said. It's a trailer for the next movie because this literally ends with her appearing at the Avengers compound where we left off at Infinity War with them being like, hey, what's this pager? Oh, we don't know. It just shut down. We'll get it back up and running. We tried. It's not. And then Captain Marvel appearing. And then you're left with a title card saying like Captain Marvel will appear in Avengers Endgame. That's not like Oh man! Like the the next movie's coming out in like four months. Like, holy crap! Like, it's there to keep that interest going. It might not be there to grab it, but it's there. To like, it's that little bit of a hit to be like, ooh, oh, that's right, we're coming up to Endgame. Like, it's there for that. Stanley, Stanley, guys, this movie starts off. It it ends with heartbreak for Paul. Because he has to watch a post-credit scene. And it begins with a <laughs> break for everybody else. Because I completely forgot that this was actually the very last MCU uh, movie that Stanley had recorded a cameo for. Well, no, it wasn't. Because he's in Endgame. Uh, but he passed away during the editing and post-production of this mm-hmm. film. So we're treated or subjected to, depending on your viewpoint of it, uh, with an updated and individual take on the Marvel logo with nothing but Stan Lee appearances instead of the normal, like Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having not watched this movie in a while, this it hit in a different way where I was like, oh crap, I, f- I forgot that this was the moment. And it fades out with to uh, thank you, Stan. Like in... Uh and also, even the uh, cameo that he's made—you uh, you were talking about it happening, you know, him passing away in post. Apparently, the audio that they grabbed, like during the recording of that, he couldn't really deliver the lines with enough oomph for it to be fully picked up on the mic. And they actually had to go back to the studio that produced Mallrats and actually get permission to use that audio from the, from their recording of the movie and put it into this movie. Which at that point, they were like, yeah, it's Stan Lee. Like, it's Stan Lee. You can do it. it. Like, yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, which is kind of sad, because we'll talk about that cameo when we come to it. Um, but man, thanks, Stan. We... we We've been talking for almost 50 minutes. I think we came to the cameo, cameo now. <laughs> no, like, well, like, 
Paul, you always okay. we talk about a lot of stuff that leads up into upcoming movies and stuff that we had talked about before uh, because we get to go to the Kree homeworld of Hala, which we've heard mentioned in Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, Delicious bread, and also uh, a great way to say uh, that I'm going to live it up. And Paul, Hala. you as a Fantastic Four fan must have mm-hmm. been excited when it was announced that the scrolls were going to be appearing in this movie. And if you had questions as to why the scrolls who are part of Fantastic Four, which is owned by Fox, uh, why Marvel was able to use them. And it turns out that this was due to the same like copyright laws that applied to Quicksilver, where it's like, well, yeah, technically it's a like, Marvel character, but it's also an X-Men character. And that's why the scrolls were able to be used in this because while uh, Marvel and Disney didn't have the rights to the scrolls exactly like there was enough leeway there where they could use the scrolls without it being like oh the super scroll appearing mm-hmm. on screen that they could kind of like it's like no they're omnipresent go go ahead like no litigation right and the Chitauri which was the ultimate universe's version of the scrolls, right? Yes. Were, appeared in the original Avengers movie because they couldn't get the rights to the scroll. So, I, if they figured this out before, do you think they would have used the scrolls or would they use the ultimate Chitari just I because think, it was just easier? I think they used the Chitari because at that point it was easier than saying, like, can we push it? Can we use the scrolls? I think they kind of went the safe route on that and were like, best not to risk it. Let's go with what we Or did it not even cool. matter enough because they were just a force, just an alien invading force. Like, did it matter if they were the scrolls or not? I think at that point, they probably would have been happy to say like, oh, it's the scrolls, the aliens mm-hmm. you know from but- the Marvel Universe. But I think they were scared at that point to say like, they're scrolls. I think they had to like go like, Chitauri. Also, why Chitauri they the didn't scrolls. have those Disney lawyers lawyers be controlling the scrolls and have them just as a force? I think it was more of mm. like, but who? <clears throat> I, I don't. I don't think that matters at that point because they're like four movies into the universe. Like you could. I think it basically was writing. A why, why is he using the? Why is he using the? Why is he using? I the think Chitauri? what it was like, is I'm writing a script that, and I need. Why is he to using use, Loki? Uh, you need to use an alien race, and their lawyers probably like these are alien race names that you can use, and they probably were like, "Well, these have no significance to anything. We'll use this name of the Chachari." I think that's probably mm-hmm. how it came about. Yeah, because yeah. you you have Quite that all the time. Yeah. Like, just wonder. James Gunn, when he was writing Suicide Squad, was like, the <coughs> list of characters that they gave me that I could use and kill would astound you. Like, But even, like, flip side of that, over on the Marvel Universe, like, he said in a tweet, because someone asked him if he could use, like, Rom the Space Knight, and he's like, I asked, and they're like, nope, those... Rights are like by Mattel. tied up in like a weird thing with Mattel. Like technically, yeah, he's in the comics, but flip side of that, no, he's not because it's Mattel. And there was someone else recently that he had made mention of that, like he like tried to sneak it into something, and they're yeah. like, <clears throat> so mm-hmm. in the same sense, can't do that. An Ultimates version name is probably why he was 
Joss Whedon was able oh. to use the those aliens, those specific aliens, because they have no connection mm-hmm. to anything that they might want to use in the future. But someone else that they will use in the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Digimon Hasu also appearing in this movie after his first appearance in Guardians of the Galaxy as Korath, one of the Kree uh, accusers after Star-Lord as he's trying to get um, the Power Stone. And coming up even further down the road in real time, uh, Gemma Chan appearing as scientist Dr. Minerva who will later be appearing again as a different character with Cersei in the Eternals just this past year. Um, I took special note of Minerva in this one because I now know that she is going to be playing a bigger role in the Marvel Universe now and possibly going forward. And I I kind of get it because the scenes that she's in I really enjoyed in this movie, and it's not something that I took note of before knowing who she will be playing later on. Yeah, she has a scene where she describes Earth as a real shithole. Mm-hmm. Uh, she blasts uh, Captain Marvel with a Nerf gun. Um, and she's chasing him in that spaceship. She's chasing him in the spaceship. Yeah. She gets the moments. I- even like when when they're on the spaceship and like Danvers is like, what? Did you know this was happening? Is this why we never hung out? And like Minerva's like, no, I just didn't like you. Mm-hmm. That chuckled out of me. I liked it. I I hope somehow she comes back, even though her spaceship got blown up. Uh, I get them going ahead with Gemma Chan though. Mm-hmm. She has so much presence for those like. Also, she's totally. Much more than, like, other dude, like, the big burly guy with the beard. Yeah. Like, the other, like, mousy guy. And she looked like, different yeah. enough. I, I didn't even know. This was the first I was hearing of it, so. Yeah. I was trying to see if I recognized her, because I briefly just watched Eternals not too long ago, like, because it came out on Disney+. Plus. Um, and I was like, oh, will I recognize Cersei in this character? And I, I can't, with all the... With the time that has passed in between the filming of the two and also all the prosthetics and makeup and everything, it's. They're two different people. They, they don't agree. look alike I, at all. I like, never even connected the two, so. <laughs> and you're a lot better at uh, picking out actors. Like, I'm like. Yeah, that's acting McActerson. Uh, like, oh, uh, you know. He was in. Yeah. He, acting he act movies acting face. Yeah. I might have seen him in a sh- in a show. He was in movies before. Uh, other people that you can't connect because when you see her in this movie, she's a small child. Uh, Monica Rambeau will appear again twenty years down the road in Disney Plus show WandaVision, where you get her appearing as a sword agent that's infiltrating uh, Westview to break up and figure out whatever Wanda's pulling. Um, we keep on saying 20 years ago, and it's more like 30. It, it feels better to say 20 years ago, because we know this movie takes place in, like, because 1990. And 1990, the, right? The Marvel Cinematic Universe itself is kind of nebulous, because they'll put dates up on something, but then they're like, uh, but that's not exactly, because a lot of what you're seeing in, like, the MCU, even though it happened 
again in 2019 like they're saying that movie takes place in like 2012 like there's like a weird like timey wimeyness to it so I, I'm hesitant he, to say a, 30 years. Plus a time jump of 15 years, or of five years, sorry, not 15. Because the yeah. blip, you True. get the time jump plus five. So let's say that Infinity War and the snapping happens in 2000. I think they say that's like 2016. Okay, so that's 2021 we're now in for Westview. So that's 30 well, no, years if I it's 1991. I would have to talk, because I think everything happens in 2016, but then you have the five years later jump, which would put it like 2020. So yeah, it would still be like 30, 30, yeah. So 30 years. It's, it's 30 years. That's okay, scary. thank you. Yeah. I, I'm coming to terms with my own age and mortality. <laughs> like, I don't want to have the same thing happen in my escapism. Uh, Too late. It, it has, okay, Monica Rambo uh, appears 30 Monica, years later. Yeah. Um, They'll come back, and they'll come back in a big way because it's sad that we learned that Monica's mother, Maria, has passed away due to cancer, uh, most likely from her being a test pilot and working with like Dark Matter and the Tesseract as part of Project Pegasus, which we mm-hmm. learned of in the first adventures as part of the joint scientific experimentation between uh, NASA and S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh which also gives us Annette Benning mm-hmm. as Dr. She's Lawson, a- a.k.a. the original Marvel. Uh, yeah, she's she's great in this. And on first watch of this movie, it appeared as kind of like stunt casting, almost like having Anthony Hopkins as Odin. But she kind of like, she she fits into this role, like, she works well as that kind of like that elder uh, She works as the mentor. elder mentor, and she works I, as... As the computer, the uh, the great consciousness, or whatever they call it, supreme supreme intelligence, intelligence. fantastic. Um, like she works well <laughs> as both. I I think I thought she did a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we talked about it briefly before, but we do get our Stanley cameo with Stanley being a gentleman on the subway as Captain Marvel's chasing the scrolls that she thinks. Uh, are after the secrets to destroy the universe, not to save themselves. Uh, I had to have a whole sit-down conversation with Yanni about how this kind of breaks the MC universe because he's preparing for his cameo in Mallrats where he's portraying Stanley, the creator <laughs> of the Marvel Cinematic or the Marvel Universe, uh, and how he's talking about characters in Mallrats that haven't yet been introduced in the MC universe. So it's kind of a weird Ouroboros nexus of the universe moment here. And as a cameo, it's fun. It's cute. Yeah, it makes sense. This movie takes place in 1995. Of course, Stanley would be preparing for that role. But Paul... In Marvel 616, as we know, Marvel comic books do exist. And they're the biographers of the hero's adventures in that universe. So, we don't know the full script of that Mallrats that's in Captain Marvel. They they could be talking. So the scenes with uh, Brody, yep, right, and uh, and Stan Lee, where he's asking about you know how does the 
uh, thing P or whatever. Yeah, this is dork whatever. made of orange rock too. Rock. It could be about the Hulk, and if, it, but, if the Hulk's but at that point, the thingling Hulk, becomes huge. The Hulk hasn't appeared in the MCU at that point because oh, oh. Bruce Banner is not going to have that interaction until okay. Like, so yeah, we're right, until right, by, by twenty years. So Wait. why is Stan Lee famous? Stan Lee could be famous because he's writing comic book characters in the 1990s that he could be writing Avengers yet. But DC superheroes. <laughs> he, he did. They weren't good. No. But it, it's a it's a fun discussion question for you know that kind of like universe meta breaking stuff. Well, um, Stan Lee would still be famous because he would have been writing the Captain America comics. Yeah. Because that happened. Get, okay, Paul, Cap- you know what? You sold me. He, mm-hmm. he wrote the Captain America propaganda comics after he yep. disappeared. So, uh, But that's not our only creator cameo we get. Because after the fight scene on the train, uh, we get to see Captain Marvel writer Kelly Sue DeConnick mm-hmm. uh, as Captain Marvel's uh, departing from the train. It's actually the woman with the red hair and glasses that kind of looks at her quizzically like the hell uh, creator of the current iteration and what you know of mm. Captain Marvel uh, got some screen time in the movie always really cool much like we got to see Ed Brubaker in the Winter Soldier movie uh, I like that bone being tossed to the That's people responsible uh, because it's fun not that not just that they were in the movie but they got to be on set during filming and I'm sure it was a whole day for them like you know because they set up the scene but it takes forever for the scene to get set up and all the lighting and all that jazz to happen so they get to like tour this the studio or wherever they're filming and talk to everybody i'm sure it's a lot of fun yeah uh we talked about a lot of the later stuff in the movie up at the front of this retrospective uh we talked about the origins of Fury Scar, where he gets the name of the Avengers Initiative from, because that turns out to be Danvers' call sign when he's filling out reports afterwards. Um, I do want to give a special shout out to both Sam Jackson and Clark Gregg for appearing as these characters again, except they're a little bit more fresh-faced and bushy-tailed. Um, mm-hmm. This movie sold it to me that while I might not have watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. past like the second or maybe third season I do like Coulson being in this universe just that take on Coulson felt so far removed from the universe it didn't feel right Um, I'd love Coulson to come back because I think he was a great part of that phase one of the MCU we talked about the origins of Fury's Scar. Uh, something else I think we should mention, but you can't talk about it too much because he's only in one scene. Uh, motherfucking Lee Pace <laughs> coming back as Ronan the Accuser again. Um, and watching this made me want to go back and rewatch The Hobbit because I'm like, yeah, Lee Pace was awesome as Thranduil. Like, yeah, he was totally Give me some dick. more of that. Uh, we talked about the mid credit scene also with Danvers appearing at the Avengers compound after being summoned from the pager that she gave to Fury that she stole from Fury when they were infiltrating the Pegasus base. And we do have a post credit scene, which is actually 
uh, Goose the cat slash Flurkin throwing up the Tesseract on Fury's desk, which explains how it actually got back into shield possession the next time you'll see it uh, in Avengers 2012. Um, Again, we talked about it up at the front. Guys, I really dig this movie. Yeah, I, I... I think every time I watch it, I like it more and more. I think everything just really... It just trucks along. It really flows. It doesn't have too much of a down point when there are some, like, oh, they're not really doing anything, or Nick Fury and her are held up in a coat closet, and Nick Fury is like, oh, I'm going to take this tape, I'm going to hit my phone, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get out. And it's just like... Yeah, it, that was a fun moment. And then when he's like, oh, let me get my tape out again, uh, she just blasts the door open. It's like... <laughs> when, when they're at uh, Maria Rambeau's house and like they're arguing over how to pronounce Marvel or Marvel, and he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. Marvel, that's... Hey, Mr. Po-. Like, that's fun. And that's not a theory that we get to see later on in the MCU, and that's why I... I'm really glad this movie Yeah, it's the Nick Fury moments. that has his secrets have secrets. Like, it's before all of that. It's before he's kind of a little less bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. When, when his biggest secret is he can't eat bread if it's been cut diagonally, which I talked about before on the show and it was a point of contention. Uh, so we'll, Yep, I still we'll, hold we'll, that we'll, that's we'll, just a lie. We'll go past it, but... I think that's definitely setting the stage for something. And, you know, maybe we'll see in Secret Invasion. So something else for you to look forward to worry about. I think one of the biggest criticisms was when this movie first came out was people were like, oh, I don't like those needle drops. It was all, you know, female lead singers and they seem, it seemed forced. Now that we are watching it again, do we have any issues with those songs? Um, the song choices? Any my like? Uh, I think you you didn't like. I'm just a girl at the last fight sequence because it just kind of turns off. Yeah, I right. I agree um, with myself. I guess because yeah, those, you're only agreeing with yourself. Everybody else disagrees. With I, I think it's a fantastic soundtrack, but some of those moments it feels very tacked on. Like okay, James Gunn had you know, a contemporary soundtrack for the area, for the era that Guardians of the Galaxy was told, like, soundtrack fits that. James Gunn is a master of weaving a soundtrack into storytelling, mm-hmm. and I think anyone else that's trying to do that needs to sit down with him and work that out, because, again, like, you hit the nail on the head with the, like, the I'm Just a Girl, where uh, Danvers is fighting with the rest of Star Force, and that song just starts playing. There's a moment in that fight scene where Captain Marvel literally gets knocked back into a jukebox, and mm-hmm. if the song had started playing at that moment, I think it would still feel a little like okay, you're forcing this, but it would feel better at that point than just like she looks at people and the song starts playing and then she starts fighting and then gets thrown into a jukebox. It's a nitpick. I I get it. Like I said, I still love the soundtrack. Like 
those songs were some of my favorite songs in the 90s. I still love me some No Doubt or Elastica or Republica. Like, no issues, no issues, but some issues. And it's just because, much like the Suicide Squad movie, it seemed like, oh, well, Guardians of the Galaxy did this. We can do this, too. So you're still picking that, Nick? Or is it just something that, not, that this last time you watched it, it didn't even bother you? Oh, no. It, it still hits me as one of those things that I'm just, like, aware of, but it didn't take me out of enjoying the movie this time. Like, it did maybe the first time that I watched it. Because I think this was maybe, like, the fourth or fifth time I've seen Captain Marvel. So it's still a, a lot, or at least a good amount of times, but it's not as many as some of the other MCU movies. Well, guys, where are we falling at in our power rankings? That's what we're building let me, up to. Let me pull my the <laughs> list up. Okay, I'm going to do gut check right now. I'm saying it's between Iron Man and Guardians. Okay, so for you, we're, like, what number would that be in your time? So that would be one, two, three, four, five, six, the number seven. Okay. For me, this is actually going to fall right within my top ten as my number nine. So this is going to be uh, behind Infinity War, Thor Ragnarok, Captain America Civil War, Captain America Winter Soldier, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, placing it right before Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, and this is going to be my number nine spot, too. I think I'm going to put it just just below Iron Man. And I think these two are neck and neck. But I think it just falls just 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 below it. And yeah, like my my movies right before it are Infinity War, Ragnarok, Winter Soldier, Guardian, Civil War, Avengers, Homecoming, Iron Man, and then Captain Marvel. The big thing for me was looking at the movies that actually placed it over, which is stuff like Black Panther, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Captain America, Thor, like, which are all good movies. And I had this discussion last night where I don't think any of these movies are bad. And I feel like we say that often on the the retrospective episodes, because I still think even the worst Marvel Cinematic Universe movie is better than some other studios' comic book movies. Um... I'm just surprised that Captain Marvel rated this high for me as something that I don't consider being one of my favorites. Like, if I had to list my top ten favorite Marvel movies, it probably wouldn't make that list. But literally sitting down here talking about it and looking at the list of everything, I'm like, no, like this is this beats the median. And like, even talking a little bit more, like it beats it beats Shang Chi for me. It it beats... Uh, I, I can't make that... I have to watch Shang-Chi again because I've still yeah. only watched it, it once. It beats Black Widow, mm-hmm. I think, too. But Black Widow, I think I would put it probably... Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're getting too far, But man. I would put it... There's I no more movies. five below <laughs> where, I ha- where Captain Marvel is now. And I think Shang-Chi might be somewhere around the same. Like... I think they're good. Marvel movies are the only movies I saw in theaters last year. <laughs> like, that was the only thing I made it out to theaters to see. Um, Jungle Cruise. I actually went to a good amount of movies. I'm happy with myself. Uh, 
but yeah, it's just it's interesting where everything is going and where everything's going to continue to fall on these lists. Um, yeah. But if you have a different list than us, if you enjoy listening to us, find us, rate us, review us. We're on all the different platforms. Uh, you've heard us say it before. Uh, but also, thank you for listening. And uh, as always, uh, thank thank you, Chris and Paul, for continuing to do this podcast after 12 years. Ooh. You're welcome for being I... your friend for 25. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for being friends with me. I, I know I make you ask quite a bit why, but, you know, I appreciate it. <laughs>